0: Hey, this is Sayem Bhutani and you're listening to Chai Time Data Science, a podcast for data science enthusiasts where I interview practitioners, researchers and cagglers about their journey, experience, and talk all things about data science. and welcome to quarantine content with my Kaggle heroes ctds.show. In this episode, I interview dual Grandmaster and Competitions Master Rob Muller. We talk about Rob's journey into data science. He started as an electrical engineer transitioned into analytics and data science. Uh, We connect. I try to connect the dots in this interview. How did he get interested in data science and how or if was Kaggle helpful? Rob has been sharing a few interesting kernels which are called race uh, to the name of the competition, and many amazing other kernels as well we discuss about his process of creating them. We also discussed two of his recent amazing finishes on different competitions. The first is a solo golden finish, yes, solo golden finish on University of Liverpool iron switching competition, as well as a 15th position silver finish on the trends neuroimaging competition. This interview really connects the dot. Well, for anyone who's looking to make a transition or just starting their journey in data science as and is interested in Kaggle. So I hope you find a lot of interesting golden nuggets pun intended in this conversation. Without further ado, here's the interview. Please enjoy the show. Hi everyone, I'm excited to be interviewing more Grandmasters on the show today. I have dual Kaggle Grandmaster, Rob Muller on the show. Rob, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me, Sam. I'm so excited.
0: Likewise. I, I've I've been looking forward to this chat. Uh I want probably I usually start by talking about the guest uh, Kaggle journey, but uh, with you yeah. it your analytics journey sort of started earlier. So I want to take a step back and ask you how did Yeah, sure how did you uh, get interested in, if I may call it analytics, although it may be more data sciencey, you were an electrical engineer, you completed a master's, then you shifted into analytics. Mm -hmm. Uh, What what led you to that? Uh, What was your interest point at that point?
1: Yeah, so I, yeah, like you said, I started out in electrical engineering. I actually got my undergraduate and master's degree in electrical engineering and focused in power engineering. So this is like working on uh, you know, how to get power to people's homes. And I was working a uh, few jobs for that, but for the local power utility was the last job or last job using electrical engineering that I used. And um, at that job, we had a lot of data. Um, if you can imagine like every point on the power grid that has a smart sensor, this whole idea of internet of things there were just thousands and thousands of different data points that were coming in. Um, and I was working in the control center, so I had access to all this data. And um, I was doing things like short-term forecasts to try to see you know, if we took a piece of equipment on the power grid out, um, would the rest of the power grid be able to handle the fact that that piece was out? Um, and as an electrical engineer, most of the work that people did was in Excel. So a lot of spreadsheets, a lot of data, like trying to manipulate it in these spreadsheets. And I didn't really have the Python or real data science uh, stack under my belt. So while I was, I guess you could call it more analytics. Uh, I, I really couldn't do some of the more advanced things. And I was finding, I was writing these like crazy visual basic uh, programs in Excel and realizing that, you know, there must be some better way to do this. And this was kind of early on um, in, in like the early 2010 uh, time when, when Python was starting to become really big. And that's when I stumbled upon some Python pro, um, courses by Google. And then also I uh, saw Andrew Ng's very first lectures that were on YouTube from Stanford. Uh, on machine learning, I don't know if you've seen those, but um, I have.
0: I, many people don't know this, but uh, instead of Coursera, the first MOOC went on YouTube, and those were recorded in his lecture hall. If I remember correctly.
1: Yeah, yeah, those were the ones I watched. I think they were recorded in two thousand and eight or something. So they they seem kind of ancient now because <laughs> he doesn't really talk about deep learning. But um, I was just fascinated. I, first of all, I loved Python. I just because in in college we used a lot of MATLAB. And MATLAB can do a lot of things that NumPy can do, but I never uh, when I when I started writing in Python, I realized there were these packages that could do all these cool things that actually solve problems that I was working on. So, um, like for instance, just yesterday, my wife had to deliver all these these um, yearbooks to people around our neighborhood, and I was able to just find a package on Python where I connected to Google's API thing. And this isn't even data science work, but I was able to like optimize her route when she was dropping dropping off uh, the different packages. So Python was huge for me because when I first started working with it, it was um, like able to let me to actually solve real problems that I wanted to, to do that you couldn't really do with MATLAB. Um, and there were so many open source packages that you could use, but uh, yeah, so, so I fell in love with Python. I learned about this thing called machine learning and it just fascinated me. And uh, that's when I started to try to use those tools more than just Excel and uh, decided, okay, if I really want to do this stuff, I, I should maybe consider doing another master's degree focused on data science. I was lucky enough that my company kind of compensated for education, so I just wanted to take advantage of that. And I, I did a master's program at UC Berkeley um, in information and data science. And that was a great experience for me. Um, I met, a lot of it was, you know, learning the hard technical data science skills. One of our classes was in applied machine learning. So we did a, we did a Kaggle competition. It was one that had already finished, but that was really my first experience with Kaggle. Uh, but also learning, you know, that, the ethics behind data science how to present um, a lot of other skills, and then just meeting my classmates that were equally as excited about data science was a good experience for me and um, Sorry, please go. Yeah, go ahead in in
0: hindsight uh do you think ma- many people struggle uh, with with the option of uh, considering a masters because of financial yeah. reasons do, do you think uh Kaggle is a better option or what do people miss out if, if they just uh, take a Kaggle and online courses instead?
1: Yeah, so I think it's a that's a great question. And I think each person probably has their own unique situations that uh, might cause one thing to be better uh, than another for them. I know personally, I was blessed to have the, the opportunity to do school and have a good bit of it compensated for me. Um, I think that Kaggle teaches you a a lot and you can just learn a lot out of the box. Actually, after I finished that master's degree in data science, I was talking to my wife about what comes next because I'm really passionate about data science and I also just like to keep myself busy. And I was actually talking to a professor at a school nearby about maybe doing a PhD. And that was at the same time I was doing Kaggle and I thought to myself, like, out of these two, I could spend you know, three or four years of my life devoted to a PhD or I could really dig into this Kaggle thing and um, maybe get a little bit more exposure. So um, when it came to that, I decided, you know, to dive into Kaggle more than uh, pursuing more education. So I don't, I don't think there's one answer that's best for anyone. Um, I do think that there's a lot of benefits that I got out of my master's program but i could see how others could do just as well with um just learning on kaggle and all the free resources that are out there
0: so you you mentioned about uh data related to electricity distribution um, can you yeah. put, put that into context compared to the ASHRAE uh, prediction competition how would the size of this uh, these data sets compare to that
1: so um so that competition was really interesting. I wish I had more time to, to work on that competition, because there was another one I was devoted to at the time. But um, that was actually forecasting demand at the um, at the building level,
0: building blocks, and I
1: was Yeah, I was, I was working at a power utility. So there were um, there were a lot of other things we had to consider, like further up the stream, I guess you would say, in the power flow um, at the substation level and then the transmission line level. And there's this whole optimization problem where you want to have, you know, generation generators on in certain points in the system that flow in an optimal way to serve your load. and. Yeah, it's similar in some ways. I'd say the the way it was actually very similar. Competition is uh, weather is a huge indicator of uh, of how much demand is going to be drawn because in the summertime people are turning on their ACs, and in the winter time most people have, at least in this area, have uh, gas heat. So you'll see just the demand in the summertime follows how humid and how hot it is outside. And you definitely saw that in that competition. That competition also was a little strange. And Mm. I I didn't understand it at first, but they provided you what the weather was. And when you're actually trying to predict power uh, consumption, you don't know for sure next week what the what the weather will be. You have Mm. the forecast, but there's some uncertainty in the forecast that you have to take into account if you're gonna use that as an input to a model.
0: How how does it affect at the source level if, if we're able to better predict uh, power use cases? Don't we already have all that figure out, figured out? We have nuclear reactors, everything. How, why do we still need to figure out how much power is required?
1: So for, for me, when I worked at the power utility, um, there are pieces of equipment at the different the substations, and they're big generators. Or sorry, not generators. Big transformers at a substation, and you have to do maintenance on them. So you have to take them out of commission. They drain the oil from them. They refill with new oil. Um, when you do something like that, you don't want everyone's power to go out. Obviously, <laughs> so so you have redundancy built into the system, but you also want to make sure that even if you have that piece of equipment out of service, if the next piece of equipment fails just for some random reason, if a squirrel gets into it or something else, then um, you don't want everyone's power to go out either. So you run these simulations and you forecast what the demand is going to be like, because you'll want to take that piece of equipment out for maintenance when demand is low. And to be able to forecast that is really important, because then you can. Sort of um, understand how much risk you'll put the system in when you take something out of service
0: Understood. so I, I also want to ask you um, you when you to Python, you learned all about it then uh, how did you go about learning uh, Python because there are two approaches that everyone comes across, which is should I go along the object oriented programming path, solve all those all of those lead code questions, or should I just try and hack my way around uh, mm-hmm. using this to whatever I'm trying to apply to, which, which approach did you follow and work. For?
1: Yeah, another great point. And I probably will say this a lot, but I think that every person probably has their own, you know, situation, they might work, learn best or do okay. it, or learn in different ways. For me, before I started my master's in, in data science, I, I took the those small courses in Python, but then I just did the whole MITx. Um, there's a free MOOC for learning Python. And I thought that was huge for my fo- foundational understanding of object-oriented por- programming, but also things like try and accept clauses and certain things that once you have a foundational knowledge of, then you can take the jump into, um, into doing you know, more data science things. I think you can hack your way around it, but you might pay for it in the long run. And, you know, each person has their own approach. But for me, I felt the best approach approach was learn some foundations in programming in Python and then move on to the data science stuff.
0: I I think the key is not not remaining stuck in either loop. So either uh, you work on your foundations and then jump to uh, it or maybe not not going back and forth constantly.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, I think Kaggle is a great place to you know practice those skills
0: we'll we'll talk more about uh, kernels and discussions later uh, mm-hmm. now I, I still still want to continue with your journey discussion a uh, later you transition Absolutely. to marriott so um, yeah uh, why does marriott need to even predict <laughs> anything aren't they always completely booked isn't it th- this famous hotel chain that's always booked
1: yeah uh, it's a it's a great company to work for um always booked. Nowadays, not so much uh, (laughs) with everything that COVID-19 is happening. uh, The hotel hospitality industry in general is having a really hard time. Um, But but the work I did at Marriott, not to get into too much detail, um, but basically, if you um, if you are have some thing to sell, usually, you're just gonna sell like if you're selling a pencil for a dollar, you're selling a pencil for a dollar. But with a hotel room, I could sell that hotel room to you today for, for let's say fifty dollars, or I could sell it to someone else next week for let's and we're talking about a hotel booking in a in the future, two months down the line. I could sell it to someone else in a week for two hundred dollars, then maybe I shouldn't sell it to you right now. Mm-hmm. So forecasting What type of demand you'll get, how much people will pay, and at what time close to arrival date they will book is a real uh, important and it gets really complicated, really fast uh, type of problem that you're trying to optimize so that the hotels don't necessarily sell all their rooms for the cheapest price that they actually optimize how much revenue they can gain. Um, And Marriott was a great company to work for. I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, a lot of interesting problems and great people I worked with, with there.
0: I'm sure there are many parallels that we could go into, but I want to uh, come to Kaggle also. I think uh, it was right around that time you started working on Kaggle competitions. How how did that help you at yeah. work? Was it at all helpful in your data science journey, in your data science work?
1: Yeah, for me personally, it was huge, hugely um, important in the work I was doing. So. At Marriott, we were taking some of these older statistical approaches models, and I was able to use a lot of the newer modeling techniques that I found on Kaggle or that had been coming out that were new and implement them. And we saw a pretty significant boost in in accuracy for some of our models. I probably can't get into details, but I mean, 7,000 properties that Marriott has across the world and any little bit of improvement in accuracy can have huge financial impact. So it was, uh, um, a, a, being on Kaggle, learning these new approaches and learning proper cross-validation techniques, uh, especially for time series data, all of that was, uh, Kaggle played a big role in really improving my, uh, my work day job work.
0: Did, did you nitpick the competitions that you take part in? How did you uh, approach them? Were, were you trying to find the ones that would correlate to your uh, day job so that it, it isn't much of an outside second job in itself?
1: Sort of. Um, so I actually got, first got introduced, other than the course that I took in college where we had a, where we joined the competition. We did the bike share competition like years after it had ended So it wasn't a real competition, but I I got started because I was, that's when I was still working in the power industry and I uploaded a data set of a bunch of freely available energy consumption data. And I just made two kernels on forecasting, one using XGBoost, like a uh, boosted trees approach to time series analysis. And then one using profit, Facebook, um, algorithm uh, that's more of like a time series, traditional time series model type. And I just wanted to learn those. And I figured at the same time, I could make a public kernel and kind of have that on my resume. So um, I wasn't even jumping into competitions right right away. I was looking for opportunities just to, to mess around with the data and Kaggle provided a great platform for uploading data and then also Having publicly available kernels. Okay.
0: And uh, do, do you also see a connect uh, due to Kaggle? Now you're working in the oncology uh, field, uh, mm-hmm. and your the, the two competitions we will talk about are also sort of related to that. Is is there a connection mm-hmm. to that?
1: Uh, y- yes and no. I I um I moved to this job very recently, so I'm still learning a lot. i Um, It's in oncology research and development, so a lot of supporting um, of drug development. And I just happened to also find myself gravitating to these medical or even the molecular um, challenge, that Kaggle challenge that was out last year. Those were the type of things, Kaggle competitions that I just found very interesting and gravitated towards. So maybe there is a correlation there between why I ended up at my current role. Um, I can say that my k- Kaggle competition's the mon- molecular one. Uh, when I did my interview, part of it was a presentation and having a Kaggle competition that you really worked hard on and had a good result is a real great opportunity because then you can have it as a presentation, you can get in interviews and other situations especially if your, your previous jobs, you can't really discuss in detail your modeling purchase. Um On Kaggle competitions, you can share everything that you did.
0: Absolutely. Uh, do you have any any uh, suggestions on how should one uh, maybe represent their, their learnings or their results on Kaggle in the best way to recruiters?
1: Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it really depends on the type of job you're trying to get and. the, uh, um you know what you're trying to or what you're most proud of in your your resume i think you just want to highlight uh things that focus on the job you want not necessarily the jobs you've had in the past so uh Kaggle can be great because you can choose whichever competition you want that's that's on and and focus on that and then have that to present in your resume um i'm more recently have been putting in some of my finishes into my resume, you know, having a solo gold medal in a competition is is pretty um, hard to do. So if you put that on your resume, I think that that might make you stand out. Um, but I think it's just, Cattle is all about learning more and growing in your craft. And if you do that, all the other stuff will follow too part of the problem is
0: also how, how should one communicate that how difficult it is really to get a solo board. Mm-hmm. We we'll talk about that soon? Uh, do, do you have any thoughts on that? Because some to some people, they know what Kaggle is, some are like, okay, it's, it's just a competitive website.
1: Yeah, I think that um, I think that it really depends on the employer, like you said, some some companies like H2, H2O for instance, they, you know, they highly value if you're a good Kaggle competitor because they know how hard it is and they know all the work that goes into it. Other companies managers or even sometimes it's just getting past the recruiter and the recruiter might not even know what Kaggle is. Hopefully if they're recruiting for data science position they would um, but that might even be a good indicator for you if the job's a good fit for you that if you really like Kaggle sort of problems and they don't know what it is. um, Maybe they're not doing that type of work. Not necessarily, that's always the case, but um, yeah, there's no one fit answer. I think um, having a diverse portfolio is important. So Kaggle can be one of those components. Um, I think that, you know, investing time in competitions not only competitions but notebooks and public taking maybe notebooks and making them in the blog posts can be other ways that you um you show your experience and your skills in data science so there's a lot of ways to do it
0: that's a great idea but uh, but to to on many people please don't put a uh, titanic competition on your resume maybe that's that's yeah. not the best thing
1: yeah that's that's definitely true. A lot of people have seen that data set so far. Yeah.
0: So uh, now coming to your Kaggle journey, how how did you uh, improve upon your skills from uh, your first kernel? What competitions did you join and any favorite battle stories as I like to name, name it?
1: Yeah. Um, so I really started out thinking that Kaggle, at least from the competition side was Unattainable to succeed in. I I thought it would take way too much of my time, which it kind of is true if you want to be <laughs> invested in competitions. Um, but but I thought that you know kernels at the, it was called kernels at the time. Now it's called Kaggle notebooks. But those are a much more approachable um, entry to Kaggle for me. And uh, the first real competition I got involved in was the 2018 Kaggle survey competition. So I just had an idea of what I wanted to show with the Kaggle survey data, and I made a public kernel. And my, I think the hardest thing was just taking that step of making the kernel public, and I encourage everyone to do that. Just If you're making original work, make it public and get immediate feedback. And I was getting good feedback from it, they have a weekly prize that they were giving out. And I I got one of those weekly prizes. So I was like, okay, maybe the work I'm doing is actually pretty good. And then I ended up getting second place in that competition, which was really exciting. Um, And then I also started making kernels for other analytics competitions that Kygo holds, like um, specifically the sports related ones I really liked. Um, There were two analytics competitions for the NFL and and one recently for the NCAA data set so just find I think that if you find some data set that you're interested in and you think is fun to work with on its own then when you uh start making a kernel with it then I think that shows and uh that's really how I started getting involved in in Kaggle also um I started to notice that like I was moving up on that ring Board. And when you start to see that, I think, like, the things in your brain that, that uh, link dopamine up with, release. like, reward, yeah, dopamine release starts to kick in, and you want to do better, and it becomes more com- competitive, and that's when I started to make more kernels um, for new competition. Um, one thing, one thing about just choosing a random data set and making a kernel with it is you might not get the same visibility as if you start to work on a kernel in an active competition, because in active competitions, you have thousands of people who are looking over these notebooks, trying to learn about them. So what I found was, and I sort of made it a challenge for myself was every time a new competition was released, either I got the email or, you know, I saw somewhere else that the competition was out, I wanted to go and immediately start making a kernel and start exploring Mm -hmm. the data um and I think that kind of honed my skills too in in being able to quickly see a new data set and then at least find some insights right away within a few hours of looking at the data and make some plots that visualize that data and those ended up being pretty successful for me in terms of uh, people responding well to them and that kind of just fed itself me wanting to do more
0: Uh, so I and I, I hope the audience realizes realizes this that grandmasters usually release an initial version of their kernel and then incrementally improve upon it, uh, which is also the case for you. If, if yeah. my investigation is right, when is the first yeah. version ready? And how do you find the uh, new ideas?
1: So, um, actually, I, I found that out uh, after I had started doing it, it was just sort of my natural approach was to start a kernel. And then like continuously being at adding things to it. Um, But yeah, that also adds a lot of exposure because um, I'm sure if you modeled what makes a a high scoring or high upvoted kernel, one of the indicators would be how early it's released in a competition if you're releasing it for competition data. So so, yeah, just diving in right away was a good approach for me, and it ended up being something that kind of helped out uh, get getting more exposure. And I think that the fear a lot of times, at least that I had going into making kernels, was that they had to be perfect before I presented them. Like, they had to be this pristine masterpiece document that I could present to the world. Um, but really, if you try to do that, you're not getting – the feedback, which is one of the biggest benefits of doing a kernel or a notebook on Kaggle. Um, because every time you iterate and add new things, people are giving you feedback in the comments and you're seeing what other people are doing with the data set too. And you're, you're really growing and expanding your, um, your abilities to explore the data. So I definitely would recommend if people are making kernels, make them early and incrementally add to them and and just try to be original and do an an original approach to the data um a lot of google searching i want (laughs) to i want to plot this Uh, so my first the the survey competition i was making uh, venn diagrams which you don't actually see venn diagrams a lot on on the um yeah yeah but i wanted to show like Okay, what software are people? What IDs are people using to on Kaggle? And I want to show how many people use Sublime Text and also Kaggle Notebooks, and show how many overlaps. So just googling how to do that in Python was a good good uh, experience. So just think up. I find you think up what you want to see, and then you start figuring out how to make that happen. Similarly, in the competitions, in the NFL in the basketball competitions, I wanted to plot all this data on the court and on the football field. So to do that, I had to actually create these in, matplot, in matplotlib, so um, it was a tedious task, but I learned a lot about how matplotlib works and how you deal with different axes and uh, creating different shapes and stuff.
0: I, I didn't understand uh, I don't understand NFL so I didn't uh, look into it that much but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I really really loved your uh, visualization and uh, I think I'm trying to reverse engineer your thoughts here so please correct me if I'm wrong but maybe you thought of this story of comparing it and then you decided to come up with four categories of different ID users and then you created this narrative around it was that uh, the case
1: Yeah that's pretty much it yeah yeah, I, I find a lot of my best or my ideas come from um, when I'm not at the computer and not, you know, sitting at the keyboard. It's when I'm like out on a run or right before I'm going to sleep is when I start to think of, oh, it would be cool to think of the data in this way. And then you go back to the computer and you, you start <laughs> to code it up.
0: Okay. Uh, did, did you, uh, so you're a dual. Uh, grandmaster now, did you decide to focus on kernels and discussions first? Uh, or was it in parallel across uh, competitions, kernels, discussions, all three?
1: No, definitely my approach at first was, I was seeing that my kernels were doing well. So I, once I got to the point where I was a kernel master, and I saw that, you know, maybe becoming a Grandmaster was possible, that's when I really started making a push to publish more kernels. And, uh, Discussions kind of came along by itself. I wasn't really focusing on trying to get uh, discussion posts, points, Um, but certainly Notebooks and Kernels was my focus in the first six months, year of my Kaggle journey. Um, Probably starting with that 2018 um, that uh, survey competition.
0: How did the idea of I, I missed one point, which was the race kernels and discussions you've created. Uh, can Can you share the story behind that? The race to XYZ uh, competition. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. So um, one thing I don't know if everyone knows. Probably a lot of people already know this, but during the competition. Um, so what I what I like about competitions, apart from just the actual um, learning, competition itself. Is also like the sport aspect of it because you're you're watching um, people compete and the leaderboard is constantly changing every day. And um, you it's make a submission,
0: like, you're up twenty positions, You sleep, you're down by thirty because yeah, someone hasn't used a kernel. Yeah, and
1: not even, not only yourself, you get to once you're on cattle enough, you recognize people. You know which people are successful. Like Anandera, he he has. I've seen him just start at the bottom of the leaderboard and in like three days, like slowly work his way up. So seeing these people battle it out, even if you're not involved, I thought was exciting to see. So um, one of the things you can do in in the, the the leaderboard is download the raw data and see who submitted when. You only see their submissions that scored better than their previous submissions, but then you kind of I I had the idea of taking that and then making it more of like the timeline and see who was in first place when, what scores were were there when, Um, and actually one of the plots I I made, you see every submission throughout the timeline of the competition, and like you said, when a public kernel (laughs) is released, it's like a red line where everyone jumps to that high score because everyone submits that public kernel, so it's sort of cool to see at a meta level what's going on in the competition and and how the race is forming out. That's where my idea for those kernels came.
0: But were you downloading the leaderboard constantly, or or do you get that data as well when you download uh, the leaderboard?
1: I was. It was just a lot of clicking on the download <laughs> button, uploading to a data set. After the competitions are over, I've found out you can use the meta. Um, Meta Kaggle data set and that's populated with all the past submissions you can actually there, there's actually a website out there that does a beautiful job of not on Kaggle. Uh, it's a separately hosted website, but using the Kaggle data to show who submitted when but this is all after the competition is over I forget the name of that website, but you should definitely check that out. Um, but this was just during the competition as it was going on and yeah, that involves just clicking on the download people, I think it's also helpful and gives you slight competitive advantage during the competition if you know when people submitted things to kind of get an idea of if they made a big jump versus if they slowly were like the first place team if they're slowly getting to the point where they are, or if they made a big jump, mm. that might give you an idea of, hey, maybe there was a trick they found as opposed to just slowly improving in, in their cross validation score.
0: Kaggle is is actually a data science sport. I don't know if, if this conversation, uh, if you're not convinced by this conversation, what will convince you? <laughs> yeah, do, you have, yeah. do you have any thoughts of uh, any any good memories of uh, teaming up with so many Kaggle legends? Uh, we'll talk about the recent ones as well. But uh, you've uh, teamed up with a few legends now. Now the grandmasters, maybe in, in your time, they, they were still experts or masters.
1: Yeah, no, I've teamed up with a handful of very, very talented people. Um, that's one of my biggest takeaways from Kaggle, too, is just having that opportunity to learn from people so much smarter than me and uh, just gain knowledge and insights. Even if it's the smallest thing, like the intuition that someone who's an experienced Kaggle ha- Kaggler has is um, so valuable just knowing what probably will and won't work and um, testing some assumptions you might have like questioning your thought process kind of makes you grow definitely as a Kaggler. Um, so i like there were a few uh, competitions where I joined with like Dieter or his real name. We joined in one of my first competitions that I uh, achieved gold in and at the time he wasn't a grandmaster might have been a master but um he
0: had just recently retired from construction at that time
1: yeah he was like so a funny story about that we were on a team for for at least a month and it was when we were submitting our last submission that i said hey beater are you really the person in your picture? So I would worked with him this whole time, thinking probably isn't him, but maybe it is. And he was like, "No, it's not. I'm not really that person." But but um, so even not grandmasters, he wasn't a grandmaster at the time. I knew that he was bound for great things uh, just from seeing the way he worked. Um, and then it's been a little bittersweet because I feel like I join teams with grandmasters, and then we get high silvers and we're so close to gold. Mm-hmm. It seems to be, I I seem to be the common denominator that's bringing all these grandmasters down. Um, but th- they are so, yeah, it's, you can learn so much from teaming with people. And it's not necessarily just teaming with grandmasters, it's just teaming with other people that have different thought processes. Like I was going through and looking, I think I, I've teamed with people from India, France, Germany, Poland, China. Greece Italy Japan Spain, Brazil all these places that I would never be able to do in a work setting, so um, taking advantage of that is is a uh, really important and, and good part of Kaggle
0: do, do you have any suggestions because uh, someone like me would would look at a, a golden picture and they think maybe I should team up with the grandmaster because that's that's best for my result but I, I know in in my case I'll, I'll feel like an idiot when I'm uh, te- I I would have teamed up with a grandmaster do you have any thoughts there uh, do you think people should also reach out to someone who's much higher up than their tier or how should they team
1: Yeah so I think it really I I think that um if you're brand new to Kaggle and you're really low on the leaderboard and you reach out to a grandmaster who's in first place and say hey let's team up um I don't think it's in their best interest to team up with you or your best interest. I think a good goal is to just, um, actually working by yourself. Sometimes it's kind of a balance you have to play. Cause working by yourself, sometimes you can learn a lot of different things than you might on a team because on a team you tend to rely on those people for other things or you're not forced to explore every possible um, approach to the data. So, I would recommend new people to try competitions alone, uh, solo uh, at the beginning, at least for a few. And then, when you're looking to team up with people, look for people in your range. And they don't—it doesn't matter what the what their ranking is. Uh, just try to find someone that you maybe see is active on the session boards that maybe would be a good fit for your personality type. I know when I join teams with people, I just like. Love to vomit on our Slack channels of like all oh, my ideas. Uh, some people don't like that. They like to work um, more by themselves. So, just finding people that work well with your personality uh, type is, is important too. And everyone starts from zero. You know, you, you have to work your way up from somewhere and, uh, and not being intimidated by those, those high ranking people. Um, because they were also like you at one point, they were also were new. So just keeping that in mind when you when you team up with people or try to team up with people. But definitely reach out to people first try to get up the leaderboard, then reach out to people around your area. That's, that's usually a good approach.
0: Well, what's your taste of uh, approval uh, that you are actually learning because uh, you most of the times we start by just copy forking tweaking a few things, hey, that, that improved my score, let me blend it, let me average it, let me do some weird ensemble, all that <laughs> witchcraft. Uh, what's the real test of your improving on Kaggle?
1: Yeah, so I think that's an important part, maybe as a new person to Kaggle, is taking other people's ideas and running them, not only just running the, let's say there's a high scoring kernel, don't just run it, but read through it and understand each step and what the person who created the kernel was doing. Maybe even trying to find things they did wrong and that you would improve on. And maybe that's good enough for your first competition, trying to improve upon someone else's work. But then you have to reach a point, and this is where I reached a point where I I said, okay, I'm gonna start this this competition now and not look at kernel and try to just do this all by myself. Actually, the ION competition was one where I just decided I'm not going to really look at other people's stuff until I have a good foundational code base that I've written myself and then maybe stealing little ideas from other places. Um, but that takes time to get to that point. And once you're, but once you are at that point, you'll find that you can actually create your own processing and stack that works best for you. Um, and then also I would say it's important to, to do something different than what everyone else is doing. So in the neuroscience competition, um, I saw most of the best public kernels were doing one thing. So I purposely decided, okay, I'm gonna just focus on some other thing because I can always blend my submission with theirs. But if I find something new, it'll add diversity to the mix of our submissions. And um, yeah, that, that tends to be a good strategy as well.
0: That's a great suggestion. Uh, congratulations on your two recent amazing one was golden second was almost I, I feel your yeah. <laughs> sweetness, But congratulations on the two amazing finishes.
1: Yeah, yeah, they say, isn't the phrase like, c- coming in second place is like kissing your sister. It's sometimes it feels that way when you're just right outside the gold. But you feel good. It felt good. But it also it was so close. I wish I could have been um, could have made that extra jump. But you win some and lose them. Uh, yeah, but uh, the
0: next competition will we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: So it is it is extremely hard to do well in these competitions. There's so many brilliant people out there. So um, any sort of achievement, I know some people post like their first bronze medal that they achieve, you should celebrate that you're able to achieve that because Everything is part of your journey. And, um, you know, it's, success means a lot of different things to different people, and ce- celebrate it when you do succeed. Um,
0: Absolutely. So, I, I want to start by celebrating your solo golden uh, success on University of Liverpool uh, Iron Switching Kaggle competition. If the audience wants to look it up, that's the name. Uh, can you? Help set the stage by telling what the challenge was, what the problem statement was, and why, why did you find it interesting?
1: Yeah, so this was the ion um, switching competition hosted by the University of Liverpool. And the data that was provided was, it was almost uh, audio signal time series um, data, very noisy data. And what we found out was it was semi-synthetic, it was data that was fed through a real physical amplifier and then recorded. But the idea is with these ion cha- channels are parts of proteins, and I'm probably speaking outside of my knowledge here about exactly what we're predicting. But um, the idea was to predict, given this audio, okay. how many open channels you have. So that could be anywhere from zero to 10. And these, they, they tended to move in increments up or down. And uh, this was a competition that I just dove right into exploring the data. And that was extremely important because there were certain things that you would notice if you plotted the data that you wouldn't just see from, um, from looking at statistics like mean and median. Um, the data was cut up into like these little segments and then some of them had these drifts added to it. So the, the signal would just kind of have a sinusoidal up and down, or um, like a linear transformation kind of to it. So one of the first things that I worked on was removing that drift from the data. Um, that was a week or so of really challenging myself to think of, okay, what's the best way to remove this? Then right after that, it was publicly shared. So everyone had that. Um, <laughs> so um, that's just part of the competition, trying to stay ahead of everyone else. Um, but the, the other part of this was, um, finding an algorithm that could appropriately detect the difference between the noise in the data and the actual channel signal level that it was at. Um, so I tried, this was just a lot of experimentation with different models. And, um, one of the traps that I had fallen into in previous competitions was I was more of a tabular data guy. I was used to using LightGBM and XGBoost, and that would be my first go-to. Um, and I did try some modeling with that, but I knew for this competition that some deep learning approaches would be needed to best process this data and to sig- remove the signal. There was a public kernel using WaveNet, which is a, a deep learning architecture for specifically for sound and audio, um, that showed some good results. And I was just messing around with and experimenting with different learning rates, different, um, you know, uh, different sizes of the head of the model, different in- implementations. And what I found was combining this WaveNet with an LSTM, um, just stacking them on top of each other, what had really good results. So at that point, and for most of the competition, I was kind of up there like first or second place. And I was just waiting for the experienced to come and overtake me because I knew it was inevitable. <laughs> it was still early in the competition. Um, I was, uh, this also happened to happen, or, competition was going on during, uh, right when COVID-19 started really hitting the US. And um, I was working for Marriott at the time. They had a furlough to so basically have all their employees not really working because uh, no one was staying at hotels. So I had a lot of free time to work on this competition at that point. And, um, and I was just thinking about it constantly, different ways to improve the model. And I have my my machine here just like you do right behind you with my two GPUs constantly running experiments and trying to see which one's improve, um, And I found that, yeah, this this architecture of the WaveNet stacked on top of the LSTM worked really well. And then I, in reading other discussion posts and kernels, saw that removing the actual noise from the amplifier was important. So this kind of goes in line with my my, um, electrical engineering path. But uh, when you plug in an amplifier, it actually gets a little bit of the sinusoidal signal from the power system. So in the US, that's a 60 hertz mm. uh, uh, frequency. In UK or other areas, it's 50 hertz. But removing that 50 hertz noise then gave an additional boost to my model. And, you know, I was right up there at the top until the variant. first or second place, um, dropping down to third place. And then Private leaderboard came out, and I I ended up dropping to ninth, but I was just ecstatic that I stayed in the in the gold range. It was it was a whirlwind of uh, emotions during that competition. It was it was really fun too.
0: I can only imagine. Uh, in in hindsight, uh, I, I I didn't read other solutions. I apologize in advance. But uh, WaveNet yeah. plus LSTM stacking uh, was that uh, your unique idea, or what, did you find it on the forums? How did you come up with that?
1: So there were a lot of diverse approaches to it. Unfortunately, there was one leak that two of the top teams actually exploited, and that was that able was able to get them to the top. I was glad that more people. It was a really hard to find leak, but they found it. And um, but everyone else pretty much used some architecture that was similar to that. Um, I was surprised. I thought I was. I hadn't heard of anyone else using that that stack. And then it turned out a handful of the top solutions did use that same idea. So it's kind of cool to see all these Kagglers working on the same problem from different approaches and then many of them landing on the same idea. And hopefully that's valuable to the host because they can use that uh, solution in their final model that they're trying to create.
0: Isn't this saying like great minds chai like something like that?
1: <laughs> yeah. Although it is cool, some other competitions where you just see top, top uh, 10 submissions or top 10 solution write ups are completely different. So uh, sometimes everyone just kind of lands on the same solution. Sometimes there are 10 different ways to solve the problem that are really good. And I think both are equally as um, interesting.
0: Absolutely. But uh, I also want to linger on to this point, you you mentioned, uh, you started this competition by yourself without uh, looking at any publicly shared material. Uh, This is also a struggle for beginners. That's that's one of the attractive points of folk and copy, which is, um, you don't have to start from a blank notebook. So did you have any scripts that you built upon? Or was it just starting from scratch for you with a blank uh, script blank notebook?
1: Um, So for this one, in terms of the modeling approaches, at first, I had the same sort of stack that I had been using in past competitions that I had built um very similar to what other people do with with uh, cross validation and setting up the you know out of fold saving out of fold saving uh your predictions for each fold saving the models um much of my early approach, where I didn't look at kernels, was actually the EDA part of it, where I wanted to see like how can I remove this drift, how can I clean this data, um, and I didn't want to uh, like be influenced by the way other people were doing it. Um, but eventually, like even my final uh, WaveNet stack, I used from a public kernel. I used some of the same code from a public kernel, so. Um, at a certain point in the competition, you also you don't want to just completely ignore what a, hmm. what other people are sharing out there because it always can be valuable. Um, just using kind of recoding it in your in a way that you fully understand, I think, is important.
0: I think the distinction lies in the fact that you don't copy blindly; uh, you understand it and try to incorporate it into whatever your solution is.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: So now again, switching gears to the other competition, we had another amazing finish, although not golden. Unfortunately, uh, can you tell us more about uh, trends, uh, neuroimaging? Again, that's the name of the competition. If you want to look it up, and uh, about uh, yeah. your ex- experience of teaming up with uh, so many great legends there, as well.
1: Yeah, it was a little bit of a whirlwind, and and our team sort of uh, formed there really at the very end of the competition. So um, this competition was uh, we were provided a bunch of data uh, from fMRI scans of people's brains, the brain scans, and you were uh, tasked with just from that brain scan data, figuring out what age they were, and then their answer to four questions. I don't think we knew or four different other data points about the person. We didn't know exactly what those were. So um, most... Uh, so the data was provided in two forms, the tabular format where the data was kind of uh, decomposed into its its main component, and then the fMRI raw data to the actual scans themselves. And the scans were very large, and people on the discussion forums were saying that they were having a real problem with overfitting to them since the data set was relatively small uh, to, for fitting these large, deep learning uh, neural networks on. So um, I took the approach to uh, most of the high scoring kernels were using just the tabular data. And I figured, and what I noticed was if you looked at the top of the leaderboard, like the top 10 or top five competitors were much better than everyone else. So I thought maybe they were actually not only using the tabular data, they were actually incorporating this um, raw FM. RI data, so I focused just on that and using a 3D convolutional neural network. It actually used a ResNet backbone. Um, I trained models just on that, and actually those models, on their own, didn't score very well on the leaderboard. They were they wouldn't have gotten you um, even in the top half of the competition. But I I joined teams with my friend Eric, um, who actually I did my master's program with. And what we found was when you merged his tabular, his really good tabular model with that model, when you, when you did some blending and some stacking, that it pro- produced really really substantial bumps in, in your score. Um, we also got to team with um, Peter, who is fake, fake plastic trees. You might know him on, on Kaggle by that name, uh, CPMP and Psy, and those guys are just brilliant. Um, so having them on the team was was a huge motivator and it helped us improve all of our models. Um, but one of the cool things I thought with the fMRI data was I actually, um, I was thinking to myself, okay, we have low data set. We need to think of some augmentations to this data. And it was really hard to do augmentations on 3D dimensional data as opposed to just a flat image. Um, but in image competitions, there are techniques called mix up and cut mix that have been really popular, where you take uh, half of one image, half of the other image, so maybe a dog or a cat, and then you merge them together in some way, either with like a box, or by actually like kind of blending them together. And then you make your label something in between the two. And I found uh, I had to write like a custom augmentation in Keras that worked on this data set. But mix up ended up working really well and they our score a good bit so uh, just finding that little augmentation um, ended up being helping a lot Uh, well i think one thing we missed in this competition though was just doing some more complex stacking it looked like that's what the top teams really came up with and were able to exploit very well so you learn a lot i think that we would have done a little bit more advanced blending if we could go back and do it One thing I also learned in that competition is very hard to have a a large team when you only have three submissions a day. The number of submissions you have every day is – it's hard because you want to validate your local experiments to make sure they're working. Um, There's also some added complexity in this competition with – they had training data that was all from this one fMRI site, and then the test data was mixed from that one fMRI machine, but also a a second one, the Site 2. And we didn't know exactly the ratio in Site 2. So it made your cross-validation a little bit more suspect. You could never fully um, trust it because you thought maybe the Site 2 in the test set was what was making your local cross-validation in leaderboard school not, not perfectly aligned. Interesting. It was a fun competition, though, very, very quick. And I learned a lot over time and working with new data sets, different types of data sets that you've never seen before, I think it's really fun.
0: I-, I was hoping you'd be team PyTorch and not Keras or TensorFlow.
1: <laughs> so actually, I'm, I was team PyTorch in some image competitions. And I love PyTorch. But I've found in these recent competitions if I want to do something quickly, Keras actually works a lot of times and and you can always port it over to PyTorch later. I think diversifying what you know is 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 nice. So learn two things. Why not? Okay.
0: <laughs> so, uh, you don't have to I'm... make
1: teams of everything.
0: This is this is a repeat question. But every time I I get different answers, and very valuable answers to this, Uh, what what's uh, your best advice to people who are just starting out uh, whether on Kaggle or in data science?
1: Um, yeah, and that's a great question. And I think that um, just like most of my answers, I'd say it depends, depending on the person, the answer is different. And probably if you're getting just started on Kaggle, you first should think through what are your goals? What do you want to get out of Kaggle? Because ultimately, you want Kaggle to work for you. You don't want to work for Kaggle. You want to gain as much as you can out of the experience. So um, thinking that through probably is important first. Um, And then once you have decided, you know, I want to be good at kernels or I want to start learning more about deep learning, or I want to do time series, then pick a competition, just dive into it. Don't be afraid to get started. Um, I know for me with kernels, the hardest thing was just clicking that make public uh, button, because then you know you're kind of out there. And same thing with competitions, like making your first submission is often the hardest part. And then um, another suggestion would be just to Not necessarily compare yourself to everyone else or to the grandmasters or compare yourself to even uh, everyone on the leaderboard. Just compare yourself to how well you were doing yesterday. So try to always make each day improve on one thing. And over time, you'll see that you're actually making big leaps. But it happens slowly and it happens in small increments.
0: Absolutely. In, in, uh, in daily context, it appears like a very small delta, but in, in a few months span, it's, it's a bigger delta relatively.
1: Absolutely.
0: Uh, looking at your profile, you already have a solo gold on your profile and two gold medals. Are, are you aiming for 3x uh, Grand Mastery anytime soon? Are you are you uh, hoping to achieve that? Soon? Um, yeah, I, I
1: mean, I'm trying, I don't know. I, I think before I got that solo gold, I thought it maybe was unachievable, completely unachievable, but now maybe we'll see. I'll, I'll keep trying. I, I think another thing with Kaggle is it, do it if you love doing it, if you enjoy doing it, if it's fun to you. Um, and for me, it's, it's fun. So, um, So am I aiming for competitions? Master, they would be great if I could. Um, honestly, I thought before achieving that solo goal that it might be unattainable, just because how hard that is. Uh, but now I'm I'm try to make a push for it.
0: Awesome. So uh, now now towards my final question, uh, which is also a tricky question for many uh, grandmasters, uh, and I just realized this while while having a chat with you earlier. Uh, what would be your favorite game of all time?
1: There are, there are a lot of games that I've enjoyed over the years. I think um, like the old school game that I remember playing as a, as a young kid is Super Mario World. I think okay. it's the best Super Mario game, but it, uh, in terms of a more modern game, maybe one that I could play a lot. Uh, I've been playing Red Dead Redemption 2 lately, but the original Red Dead Redemption was, at the time, one of my favorite games. And there's a moment in that game you're playing as like a cowboy and your character enters Mexico. And there's this uh, song that plays by the musician, Jose Gonzalez. And it's just like one of my favorite moments in the gaming. Uh, I look back at it with such nostalgia. You can, I think you can go on YouTube and watch just that moment. And I've done that a few times because that game was really fun. Um, but there are probably too many to say.
0: Rockstar Games is is amazing with the cinematography. Most most of the times.
1: Yeah, yeah, I love being immersed in a in a game and kind of escaping.
0: Okay, uh, Rob. Before we end the call, if you could mention all of the platforms where the audience can find you, where you're active, and they can connect with you, we'll have these linked in the show notes for the audience.
1: Yeah, my LinkedIn profile. I have a Twitter account that I'm not super active on, but I definitely read. Um, And then Kaggle is probably the main way that that I interact with people. So if you want to reach out, LinkedIn, Kaggle, Twitter.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much. And I hope uh, you become a 3x Grandmaster soon so that I can trouble you. We'll see.
1: We'll see. Thanks so much for having me. It's really, I I feel like, um, like it's great being on this podcast. You've had so many great people on it over the years. I hope I um, scratched the surface of what they were able to share.
0: We we really look up to great people like you, and I'm sure the audience yeah. will learn a lot. So thank you so much. Yeah.
1: All right, thanks so much.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to give it a review or feel free to shoot me a message. You can find all of the social media links in the description. If you like the show, please subscribe and tune in each week to Chai Time Data Science.